I'd like you to welcome my friend, my brother, and my captain, Peter Hammerstead. Thank you very much for that introduction, Vincent. My name is Peter Hammerstedt and I am captain of the Sea Shepherd vessel, Bob Barker. And I am very, very happy to be in Byron Shire today. The, the turnout here is absolutely amazing. I don't think I've ever spoken to a crowd this big. The last time I spoke to a crowd even nearly as big as this was yesterday morning. I was in Adelaide, South Australia, and I spoke to 500 six-year-old kids from Brighton Primary School. It was the first time I'd ever spoken to kids of that age, and I thought, how am I going to explain the issue of whaling to them? And so I put it quite simply. There are bad people out there who want to hurt whales, and there are good people out there who want to protect whales, and we are the good people, and the kids got it. And then I thought, how do I explain what the word sanctuary, as in whale sanctuary, how do I explain what sanctuary means to a six-year-old? And then I thought that every year I go down to Antarctica, I confront these Japanese whale poachers. They're adults, they're adults, and they certainly don't know what the word sanctuary means. So I went right into it. Last time I was here in Byron Shire, it was an incredible event that gave me a lot of enthusiasm. Seeing how much the event has grown in just one year is really inspirational for me. So thank you all for coming out. It was about eight months ago that the Sea Shepherd fleet returned to Melbourne, Australia after having successfully saved the lives of 932 whales. The Japanese whaling fleet returned back to Tokyo, Japan, having reached just 9%, just 9% of their self-allocated quota. It was the most successful Antarctic whale defense campaign that Sea Shepherd has ever had, and it was the worst hunting season that the Japanese whaling fleet has ever experienced in their entire whaling history. When the Japanese whaling fleet returned back to Tokyo, they blamed their record low hunt, on Sea Shepherd's direct interventions. They called our interventions relentless and we thought what better way then to kick off our 10th Antarctic Whale Defense Campaign by calling it Operation Relentless. Because Sea Shepherd saved the lives of 863 whales the year previous, because we saved 768 whales the year before that, and because in nine consecutive Antarctic whale defense campaigns, we have saved over 5,000 whales. 
Because of that, the Japanese whaling fleet was more aggressive than ever before. I've sailed with Captain Paul Watson for the past 10 years, and the greatest lesson that I have learned from him is that success is achieved by unwavering, undying persistence, and never believing for a single second that our goals are unachievable. A great, a great example of that, because we're going into the 10th Antarctic campaign, I want to talk a little bit about what I've learned about persistence. And the best example that I can think about in regards to that is what Sea Shepherd has done to bring the sealing industry in Canada literally to its knees. Sea Shepherd was founded in 1977 as a relentless anti-poaching operation. And the first campaign that Sea Shepherd ever undertook was to the Gulf of St. Lawrence in eastern Canada, where every year hundreds of thousands of baby harp seals were being slaughtered for their furs. The first action that Sea Shepherd ever undertook was sending a crew onto the ice in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, spray painting these seals, thereby rendering their pelts commercially useless. In Canada, it is an offense against the law to be within half a nautical mile of a seal being killed. That's 952 meters. And the reason for that is that the Canadian government had a very dirty secret that they were trying to keep under wraps, namely the fact that 68% of these four to six week old seal pups were being skinned while still alive. So the Canadian government passed this series of laws called the Seal Protection Act, which in reality was really the Sealer Protection Act. After 30 years of campaigning, we reached a turning point in 2008 when the European Parliament was considering passing a ban on all seal products into the European Union. But to make that ban go through, it was absolutely crucial that we generate enough media attention to get these politicians moving. So I remember being in Bermuda with Captain Paul Watson and Captain Alex Cornelson and asking Captain Paul Watson what he wanted us to do. And so Paul looked at me and he said, well, Peter, you know, 90% of success is just showing up. I think a great way to get attention is if we get the ship arrested. So take the ship up to Canada, get in the way, and then see what happens. So I said, okay, well, that's, that's all well and good, but sooner or later, a Canadian Coast Guard icebreaker is going to tell us that we have to keep half a nautical mile away. And what do you want us to do when that happens? So Paul thought about it for a minute and then said, well, you know what? Tell them like in those old Western movies. You know how they say, we don't need no stinking badges? Tell them, we don't need no stinking permits. And then see what happens. Four days later, we were in the ice in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. We were circling one of these sealing boats. We were so close to these sealers that we were practically breaking the ice underneath their feet. They retreated to their boats, and the seals that were there, they were safe. Lo and behold, that call that we'd been expected came over the radio. But it didn't just come from one Canadian Coast Guard ice-breaking vessel. It came from two Canadian ice Guard, uh, Canadian Coast Guard icebreaker vessels. There was also a Navy destroyer ship. 
There were two helicopters from the Canadian Coast Guard circling overhead, a surveillance plane from the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, and a surveillance plane from the Navy as well. The Canadian government was taking the Seal Protection Act very, very seriously. So I got the call over the radio. Farley Mowat, which was the vessel at the time, this is the Canadian Coast Guard vessel George R. Perks. You are within half a mile of the seal hunt. You do not have a valid permit. Please keep half a nautical mile away. And as I stood there on the bridge and I thought back to my conversation with Paul in Bermuda, I thought, what it, was it that Paul wanted me to say? And I grabbed the radio and I said, well, we are a Dutch registered vessel. We have freedom of movement through these waters. To be frank, sir, we don't need no stinking permits. And was met with silence. After about a minute, I heard the stupefied voice of this Canadian Coast Guard officer say, well, Farley Mowat, then uh, we will be taking enforcement action against you. And the waiting game began. In the mess of the Farley Mowat, we had a tally board where all 19 of my crew were taking bets as to see how long it would take before the Coast Guard would board the boat. And so we had a tally for yes or no, and on the first day there were about four votes yes that they would board that day, and about 15 votes no. Five days later, there were 18 votes yes, and my incredibly naive vote no. And that was the day that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police stormed the vessel and at gunpoint took the ship in a matter of minutes. Captain Alex Cornelson and myself were taken to our respective interrogations by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Serious Crimes Unit. Like I said, they were taking the SEAL Protection Act very seriously in 2008. And as we were interrogated for about six hours, Alex and I sat there and said nothing. We didn't even acknowledge that these guys were in the room. As we were moving, as we were moved out of our interrogation to the paddy, you call it a paddy wagon in Australia? Yep. So we were moved into the paddy wagon and as we were sitting there, uh, Captain Alex Cornelson and myself, we heard the two police officers talking. And Alex's interrogating officer says to mine, Hey, did you get anything from Cornelson? Did he, did he tell you anything? And Alex's officer says, no, no, nothing. He didn't say a word. How, how about Hammerstedt? Did he, did he tell you anything? No, no, Hammerstedt just sat there silently. Wouldn't even acknowledge it. I was in the room. And that's when I heard Alex's arresting officer say, geez, these damn seal huggers are tougher to crack than the Hell's Angels. Alex and I were subsequently deported out of Canada, never to return. It was no great loss to us. And three months later, the European Parliament did in fact pass this ban on all seal products. And overnight, the price per pelt of seal fell from $70 to $7. And the number of seals killed that year compared to the year following fell by 90%. Yeah. And the commercial seal industry in Canada is a shadow of what it once was. 
For me, talking about the senseless barbarity of the Canadian seal hunt is a natural transition into talking about the senseless, crazy violence that is whaling down in Antarctica. I cannot think of a more insane practice. Every year around this time, a fleet of killer ships sets sail from Japan. They sail halfway around the world to the ends of the earth in order to brutally slaughter 935 threatened and protected minke whales, 50 endangered fin whales, and 50 endangered humpback whales, the very same humpback whales that come off the coast here in Byron, that have their calves in here and go down to Antarctica to feed. 50 of these endangered Australian humpback whales. This crazy whaling industry, they do this despite the fact that there is a global moratorium on commercial whaling since 1986. It has been unlawful to kill a whale. They do this despite the fact that this illegal hunt takes place in a designated whale sanctuary. They kill these whales even though they're within the bounds of the Antarctic Treaty, even though they're in the Australian Antarctic Territory. They are in Australian Antarctic waters, despite the fact that there is a high court order in Australia banning them from being there. When I look at the issue of whaling in the Southern Ocean, I recognize that we already have the laws on our side. We already have the media on our side. We already have the public on our side. 95% of Australians are against whaling. 100% of people in Byron Shire are against whaling. And yet these poachers go down every year to kill 1,035 whales. But when you get to that situation, when you get to that state, then I don't see any other option but for caring compassionate people like us to get some ships together, to crew those ships, to go down to Antarctica, to the scene of the crime, and to shut these criminals down ourselves. The Japanese whaling industry outmatches us in resources but we have something that they do not have. We have passion and we have drive. And General Napoleon Bonaparte himself said that the moral is to the physical as three to one, meaning that motivation and drive and courage outmatches physical strength every single time. Operation Zero Tolerance, our previous Antarctic Whale Defense Campaign, evolved a little bit differently than previous campaigns. Thanks to the support of people around the world, from people here in Byron, we were able to add another ship to our fleet, the Sam Simon, and because of that addition, we found the Japanese whaling fleet earlier than ever before. And not only that, but we located the Achilles heel of the Japanese whaling industry, namely the refueling tanker Sun Laurel. About halfway through the campaign, our campaign strategy became that if we could keep the Japanese whaling fleet from refueling, then we would force them to cut their whaling season short early. 
I remember sitting in my cabin and wondering, how are we going to go about achieving this? How do we stop them from refueling? And as I came up with some ideas and I came up with a plan, I figured that because it was so dangerous, I had to present it to my crew. And so I went down to my mess and I gathered all of my crew together. And when everybody was ready, I said, okay, here is the plan. We have a 5,000 ton refueling tanker here. We have an 8,000 ton renegade factory whaling vessel there. What we're going to do is we're going to take our 500 ton vessel. We're going to put it right between them. We're going to tell the captain of the factory ship that he's going to have to sink us if he wants to take our spot. And then we're going to stand by and see what happens. Are there any questions? There were no questions. And so I said, okay, look, it's a dangerous thing we're about to do. So if anybody wants to disembark, I completely understand. We can move you over to one of the other Sea Shepherd vessels. And out of 34 crew, all 34 crew, half of whom, who, half of whom are Australians, not a single person decided to disembark. In fact, the crew of the ship would go on to call this action Operation Iron Wedge. On February 21st, it was apparent that the Japanese whaling fleet was going to try to refuel. We had all three Sea Shepherd vessels there, the Steve Irwin, the Bob Barker, and the Sam Simon, all blocking them, all shutting them down. And the next thing we knew, we saw the Sun Laurel lowering their big fenders into the water, ready for the Nishin Maru to raft up. I sped up the Bob Barker, I went up alongside the tanker, I used my thrusters to push into them, and then I told the captain of the Nishin Maru that if he wanted to refuel, he would have to sink us to do it. I was pretty sure that the captain of the Nishin Maru would back down then, but lo and behold, he continued moving ahead, and as he did, he collided with his own refueling tanker four times. The Nishin Maru kept pushing ahead, and as I was concentrating on the helm, it was difficult for me to notice how close they were really getting. Until I noticed that my second mate, Una, from France, who is always so calm and collected, I hear her unmistakable French accent, just to my right, say the words, uh-oh. And as I look over to the right and I see Una standing there, I see right behind Una, literally one meter outside of the window, is the anchor of the Nishin Maru, ready to take out our entire wheelhouse. The Nishin Maru keeps pushing ahead and as it's pushing us, all we can hear on the bridge is the sound of twisted steel as the flayed prow of the factory whaling ship, this five-story building of a ship, keeps pushing ahead trying to push us out of the way. The Bob Barker begins turning, and as we're at a 90-degree angle to the Sun Laurel, that is when we are the most vulnerable. It's when we're completely exposed. It's when our engine room is at the risk of being struck. It's when we are at risk of possibly sinking. And it's then that we had a decision to make. We could either hold our ground or we could go astern, and we were within seconds of having to make that decision. We stood our ground, and as the Nishin Maru pushed us, we started listing over by 15 degrees. My radars got knocked out on the bridge, everything went black on the bridge, and that's when I decided to issue a mayday, a distress call. Mayday, 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 this is the Bob Barker. 
Stand, stand down, stand down, Nishin Maru. You will sink this ship. I have 35 souls on board. And as the Nishin Maru heard our mayday, in probably the quickest response to a mayday in maritime history, the Nishin Maru went full astern and backed down. The Nishin Maru would try to refuel one more time on the 25th. The crew called it Operation Iron Wedge 2. The crew got another chance to disembark. Again, not a single person disembarked. And when the Nishin Maru failed to refuel, the whaling fleet left the whale sanctuary. Those whales were safe, and the Japanese whaling fleet retreated back to Japan. The Nishin Maru backed down that day because we put them in a position where the only way to stop us would be to sink us. When I stood my ground that day on February the 21st, I stood my ground because I knew that Captain Paul Watson, had he been in my shoes, he would have stood his ground. I stood my ground because I knew that every single one of my crew were ready to stand their ground. We stood our ground because we knew that every single one of you here would have wanted us to stand our ground. And when I was in Byron Bay last year, I promised you at that fundraiser that if you gave us the funds to go down there and pursue these poachers, that we would do everything that we could to shut these killers down. We stood our ground for you as well. We, we stood our ground for Byron Shire, but most importantly, we stood our ground that day because at that moment, those three Sea Shepherd ships, those 100 crew, half of whom are Australian, they were the only hope that these whales had of being spared the harpoon. In 2008, our helicopter filmed a whale being slaughtered about 15 nautical miles away from our flagship, the Steve Irwin. It was too far away for us to intervene at that stage, but our helicopter captured all of it on footage. She was a pregnant female minky whale. She was harpooned twice. She was shot another seven times by rifle fire. From the time that she was harpooned until the time that she finally drowned in her own blood, it took 22 minutes and 40 agonizing seconds. When we stood our ground last year, we stood our ground because that is the senseless slaughter that is worth taking risks to prevent. Over 50 years ago, there were 45 factory whaling ships down in Antarctica at any one time. There is now only one factory whaling ship left. It is called the Nishin Maru. It is a floating slaughterhouse that has no place in a whale sanctuary, let alone in this century. That is the boat we are setting sail to shut down once again.
When you support us tonight, you are not just supporting an organization. You are not just supporting our campaign, Operation Relentless. You are supporting an idea. You are getting behind a movement that has a belief that when government fails in its responsibility to reflect the popular will of the people, in their desire to see the laws that are in place to protect nature, to protect animals are enforced, when government fails in that responsibility, then caring, compassionate people like us in Byron Shire will take on that responsibility ourselves. Because the reality is that throughout human history, evil has only prevailed when good people stand by and do nothing. And when you support us tonight, you are doing something. Because every whale that we will save this year is a victory. I speak from experience having campaigned against the seal hunt in Canada, having done nine Antarctic whale defense campaigns, we shut down the seal industry in Canada because we were persistent, and I promise you that with your support, we will shut down whaling in the Southern Ocean because we are relentless. Thank you.